0: Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're having a great week. And this week, I'm going to be talking to you about how do you help, and if you should help, anxiety in young children. I'm gonna be talking about kids probably from the ages of toddlerhood to preschoolhood, like two or three to five or six. But everything I'm going to talk about can be used on children of any age. This is just the best approaches, I think, for really young people. So I want to get into this today. And it's actually good timing because today is the first day of school at the Daniel's house and I today is pretty monumental for me (laughs) because I, this is the first time ever that I have all three of my kids in the same school and my littlest who's five started kindergarten today. And so it's very bizarre because I feel like my husband and I have been talking about this moment forever. And I remember always saying like, well, that's so long from now. Cause he would say, you know what? In, I don't know, five years or in four years, you're going to have Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday totally off. And I would be like, oh my gosh, that is so long from now. And there's no way I can do nothing for three days because I work in my private practice, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And so I would say like, I would have to get like a part-time job or something because I just am that person who always has to be doing something. I always have projects going on or I just can't be bored. And for the last five years, I have had two kids and then I've had one child. And so I've always been part stay-at-home mom, watching my toddlers with my first child I had to work two jobs, maybe even sometimes three jobs. So when I had her, I didn't get the the joy of staying home at all. And that was really, really rough. And then I was really fortunate that when there was a huge gap between my first child and my other two. And so I was really fortunate to be able to have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at home with them. And today is the first day ever that I am kidless and I am technically not at work, even though I'm sitting here doing a podcast, which I tell my husband is work because this is my new passion and kind of my new second career. So yeah, it's really, really naked to be sitting here. And I'm sure that you can relate if you're in the same boat as me and I feel really, It's like a combination of feeling guilty because I'm like, oh my gosh, I have no kids and I'm sitting here and drinking coffee and just talking to my cat and you. (laughs) And I also am like giddy because it's kind of awesome. So I had, I'm going to eventually get into the topic of the podcast today, I promise, but this is all going to be related. But so I have this new thing that I'm starting today. And my husband says that he doesn't think I'm going to stick with it, but I am going to. And that's why I'm going to tell you about it. And then I'm going to have to stick with it because I told the world about it. So I said, you know, I only have an hour in the morning and four hours in the evening with my kids, which is crazy if you really think about it and can be sad, but I'm trying to spin it in a positive. And I could be a really, really awesome mom for four hours. I could do that. It's when I'm Juggling my practice, and I'm juggling all of this anxioustoddlers.com stuff, and all my podcast stuff, and I'm constantly responding to emails, and so, and I'm trying to be a wife, and I'm trying to be a mom. So I feel like my entire life I've been juggling, and I'm sure you can relate to this because so many women and men have we have so many balls in the air. So we're we've got our professional hat and our personal hat and our mom or dad hat. And we're trying to deal with it all at once and trying to be great at everything all at once. And it's impossible. And so then you wind up feeling like you're not great at any of them because you're, you feel like you're doing a crummy job at everything because you can't give 110% at anything anyway, total rant. But this morning, so normally what I do is I roll out of bed and I look at my phone. It's like the first thing I do. It's right next to my bedside. Should not do that. That's really not good. But today, which was the first day of school, I was like, I'm not looking at my phone. So from seven to eight, the hour that I have with my children to get them ready for school, I don't need to check Facebook or my website or anything. I can just be present without thinking I need to respond to so-and-so. So that's what I did today. I didn't look at anything. and I was so much more relaxed and I was so much more present for my kids. And the plan is it hasn't happened yet because I'm in the middle of the day, but the plan is that at three o'clock when I pick my kids up until seven o'clock when they go to bed, except my older one, but she's kind of on autopilot, I'm going to just be there for them. And I'm not, I'm going to turn everything off because I'm sitting here with a ridiculous amount of time during the day to do everything. So that's my plan. just wanted you to know about that. But the reason why this is a great topic for today is because I have been preparing my five-year-old to go to kindergarten for five years. And that's the theme of today is what can you do to help your really young kids with their anxiety to prepare them for future anxious situations and for, you know, being a productive person in general and not having to be debilitated by anxiety because so many parents I see have a wait and see approach they normalize their kids behaviors. And I mean, this happens all the time. I see this with people around me, people that I know where I'm like, wow, you know, their child's really anxious, but they'll be like, you know, the doctor says it's normal or he'll grow out of it. Or they completely turn a blind eye and they're just like, they don't say anything. They think it's normal. Or maybe if it's their first child, they, their perceptions are just skewed because they don't know, or they just don't want to deal with it because it's upsetting. And, you know, I dealt with that in my own private life. Always. I am dealing with things both professionally and personally, but when I had my first child, I've told this story before, but if you haven't heard one of the podcasts that I talked about, this might've been like the first one or whatever I was in, when I had my first child, I went to like a postgraduate course on infant and toddler mental health. And I remember sitting there and my daughter was like two at the time. Was she two or was she three? Like two and a half, three. It was a two-year program. It was like a three-year program. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my memory is so bad. Whatever. It was, it was a couple of years and my child was a couple of years old. And I was the one like raising my hand saying, that's normal, but isn't that normal? I mean, really? Is that really a problem? And eventually I realized that I thought they were pathologizing everything. And I thought, you know, gosh, they're looking, everything is like, there's something wrong with your child, but it turned out that there were things wrong with my child. And so what they were teaching was correct. It was just that my perception was off. And really it was a great thing because it was a great time to be in a situation where I was learning and had my own child and was learning how to, to help her. She had a lot of sensory issues, which I talk a lot about being a very common precursor to anxiety. They're very interrelated. Sensory processing disorder and anxiety are like two peas in a pod. And I talk about that in other podcasts, but that's not what this is about. So I rolled up my sleeve and I got really busy helping my daughter work on her anxiety from the get-go. And I got so passionate about it that fast forward nine years later, I realized that there were no books out there that were solely dedicated to helping anxious toddlers or preschoolers. And there were lots of anxiety books for kids. And there were lots of anxiety books that helped parents. And a lot of them had a chapter about how to help younger kids or toddlers, but there was nothing out there that was purely about helping toddlers. And so I was like, At the time my practice was slow, like for like a month, my practice was slow and I was freaking out and I was like, Oh my gosh, what should I do? I should do something else. Maybe there's a sign that I should do something else. So I was like, I'll write a book. I'll write a book about anxious toddlers. Like there's nothing out there for that. And being an infant and toddler mental health specialist at the time, or actually I wasn't an infant toddler mental health specialist at that time. I was already doing my private practice for quite a while. So but having had been an infant and toddler mental health specialist, I was like, that is something that's really needed because how you help an anxious toddler or preschooler, I want to say toddler and preschooler, cause it really is both is completely different than how I help, um, a nine-year-old who has anxiety. I use a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy and my approaches for toddlers and preschoolers are, is completely different. And there were, there was nothing out there that taught parents how to do it. So I wrote a book and that's actually how this entire craziness got started because I wrote the book and then the publisher, you know, sends out this thing where like, you know, you should promote yourself because we're not going to do any work for you, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, why do I even have a publisher? Why didn't I self publish? But that's a totally different story. And so I was like, I need to have a platform. So I created a website, which was called anxioustoddlers.com and then it turned into um, a website for anxiety for all ages. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, I love making websites. I love helping parents. I love blah, blah, blah. So it morphed into a much bigger thing, but writing this book and helping anxious toddlers was the beginning. Now I wish that I never called it anxioustoddlers.com because I really don't talk a lot about helping anxious toddlers anymore. I talk more about just helping anxiety and OCD for all ages and really more for older people. So total long tangent, but I want you to understand where all this is coming from. So I want to talk to you today about 10 creative, some creative, some not so creative ways that I help younger kids with anxiety. Do not have a wait and see approach. That is stupid. No offense to anybody who is waiting and seeing, but why not be proactive? There are things that you can do that will help your child early on That. If you don't do, you're going to be trying to catch up. Your child is super malleable when they're little and they're, they're open to everything. You're basically framing their world for them. And if you can get there at the very beginning and frame anxiety for them at the same time that you're framing their world, you're going to have a very empowered child down the road. And I'm telling you this, this might be a little bit longer episode today because I'm kind of rambling on a lot more than I normally do. But, um, I'm telling you this because genetically my kids are doomed. (laughs) They are, I'm sorry, but anxiety is rampant. OCD is rampant. It's on both sides of the family. Some people would deny that, but it is, it is on both sides of the family. It is everywhere. And all three of my kids are born, have been born anxious. It's just, you have a genetic predisposition to that. But I have the attitude that just because my genes are giving them the anxiety, it doesn't mean that that is their lifelong course. They don't have to be a victim to anxiety. You don't have to be a victim to OCD. I really believe strongly that the nature nurture can be balanced, that you can teach kids skills, and that even if they are genetically predisposed to anxiety or OCD, They can learn how to alter their brain chemistry and they can learn tools. And so it's not going to be nearly as debilitating as it would be if they were given nothing. And I get this because I had anxiety. I talk about that a lot as a child. Nobody named it for me. Nobody gave me skills. And it wasn't until I was really in my forties in the last five years, because I'm going to be 45 this year, that I really got a grasp of what I struggled with as a child. And I really fully got a grasp of my social anxiety and was able to really almost eradicate it in the last five years. So why should your kid wait until they're 40? That's sad. And I know that this works, not only because I do this in my practice and um, a lot of people send their young, young kids to me because I'm one of the few therapists in the valley where I live. That actually work with young kids, but I do this on my own kids. And my 13 year old is a really good example because I started with her when she was two, but my five-year-old is like my newest little prodigy because today, today was the fruit of all of our effort because she did well. She went to kindergarten and I've been worrying about this for the last two years because I, she was a very anxious toddler and she was very, what she would call shy and she had a hard time adapting. She had a hard time making friends and I put her in preschool early and I did a lot of proactive things, teaching her about her anxiety, teaching her about her shyness and how to overcome it. And today she was excited. Oh my gosh. Cause I have been really worried about it. And she woke up this morning and she said, mom, my stomach feels weird. And because I've already talked to her about her body-mind connection, she was like, I think I'm feeling nervous because my tummy feels weird, but I'm also excited. And that was amazing. And I told her, look, I'm going to walk you in because it's nice. They let you walk in. I was like, I'm going to walk you in. I'm going to sit you down. I'm not going to leave until you feel good. And she said, I don't know where I'm going to go to the bathroom. And then I was like, I'll show you the bathroom, which now that I think about it, I didn't do that. But I walked her in and she, she has an amazing kindergarten teacher. I could tell I'm really excited about that. And she did fine. And her brother was in there and her sister, her older sister was in there. It was kind of funny. And she was like, you guys can go. And it was so good. So let me tell you how I got her there because it was five years in the making. So I'm going to go over, I'm going to try to go over them a little bit quick because I'm taking so much time introducing this topic, but some of these ideas are going to seem so simple. And you're going to be like, Oh, Natasha, that's brilliant being sarcastic. But trust me, there's a an accumulative effect. When you incorporate this in your life and you do it all the time, it does help. Because helping a child with anxiety is like planting little seeds and you're going to see them blossom over time. And you're not going to be able to like just chop off the head of anxiety when they're like three or four or five, you're going to be planting seeds and it's going to grow and it's going to grow at different times. And the different types of seeds that you plant are going to depend on the age. So let's get started. The first one I want to talk about, which is going to seem obvious is you want to start giving them an emotional vocabulary. So get your child to name different emotions. I can't tell you how many kids come into my practice who are little, you know, five and under six and under, and they don't know anything besides angry, mad, or scared. They don't know what nervous means. They don't know what worried means. They don't know what anxious means. That's a bigger word, but give your child an emotional vocabulary. And the way that you start doing this when they're really tiny is you label their emotions for them. For instance, If your child is clinging to you and you're, you know, going to maybe an event and there's a lot of people around and they're clinging to you, then you can say to your child, you know, quietly, you're feeling nervous because there's a lot of people around. Don't be afraid to, to label their feelings for them. Kids will eventually correct you if you're wrong. And. Um, It gets them thinking. And so it's not a bad thing because sometimes parents will say, well, I don't know if he's nervous. You're a mom, you're a dad, you get your kid, you know what the emotion is, help your child by putting a label on it. Eventually they will correct you and they might even correct you when you're actually correct. So like my son, as he got older, I would say, you know, you're just worried because blah, blah, blah. And he'd be like, I'm not worried. I'm bored and I'm angry. I'm like, okay, whatever makes you happy. So... They will eventually start talking back, but label feelings. You want your kid to have language because the more language they have, mom, I'm feeling nervous, mom, I'm feeling worried, the more articulate they're going to get about their anxiety and you want them to be able to articulate it as they get older. The second thing that I would recommend, I'm going to do 10 of these. So we're on, we're on number two, name anxiety early. If you listen to anything that I do, I am so huge on personifying anxiety. It's really what any anxiety expert will tell you to do. And it's something that I live and die by because I see how, how effective it is with the kids I work with in my practice and with my own kids. So get a funky name for it. I've talked about this before with my kids, my little kids, they call it a worry cloud. And a lot of the kids I work with in my practice, they do like worry cloud, um, Mr. Worry is a good one. You know, it's a really common one, but find something and name it. Cause you want to start to personify it. So you're going to have to do a lot of the work for them when they're really little. And so it's a lot of you saying things and them just absorbing it. So if you know your four-year-old's afraid to go to the bathroom, you might say, Oh, your worry cloud is making you afraid of the toilet. I wish that your worry cloud would go away. Or, you know, if we don't go sit on the toilet, then your worry cloud is going to get bigger. And we don't want your worry cloud to grow bigger because when it gets bigger, it's going to bother you more. You can start planting those early seeds without your child fully getting it. And they will eventually start to pick up that language and they will talk about it. My five-year-old always talks about her worry cloud. It's part of her vocabulary and she gets how If she avoids something that she's anxious about, her worry cloud grows bigger. And when she does something to beat her worry cloud, she gets that she's crushed her worry cloud and it's getting smaller. You want your kid to at least get that concept that when I avoid my anxiety gets bigger and when I defeat my anxiety and I do it, even though I'm nervous, it gets smaller. So simplistic, but it's a really important key part of beating anxiety. Okay. Okay. So number three is you want to teach your kids early, early on how to be a detective and fix their own anxiety. And so you do this initially by walking them through it. Let me give you an example. So let me think of some, my five-year-old will sometimes say, you know, I can't go to sleep because sleep is such a big issue for almost all anxious kids. I'm actually doing a YouTube video on sleep this week. So if you haven't checked out my YouTube video or my YouTube channel, you should, because I do a lot of different topics on there. I'm on a tangent about my YouTube video, but my YouTube channel is called anxious toddlers, parenting survival for for all ages. (laughs) <laughs> Cause I have to put that in there because it's for all ages. It's not disperfectious to toddlers, but, um, I'll leave a link below in the show notes. So if you haven't ever checked out my YouTube videos, you should, because, um, you can actually watch me talking. They're shorter and I try to pick different topics than I do for the podcast. So it would be a good supplement if you're into the stuff that I teach you. So you want to teach your child to be a detective early. So my five-year-old was, you know, she comes out and she's like, there's something in my closet or I feel like there's something under my bed. And so instead of, you know, so she's five, so we're talking about this age range. So not really like two-year-olds, but your preschoolers, I would say to her, you can go in your closet, turn the light on and go check. And if your child isn't able to do that, then walk them through it. But you kind of want to back out so that the last step they're doing by themselves. And what you're doing is you're teaching them to develop their own abilities to fix their own anxiety. So like yesterday, my daughter came out again, it's kind of a work in progress. And she said, mom, I'm hearing weird noises. She comes out multiple times, the sleeping issue, you know, you can't control that with anxious kids, but what you can control is how you react to it. And that is key. I go into that. I'm going to go into that on my YouTube video this week. But so I said to her, instead of just saying, you're fine, go back to bed or it's nothing. I said to her, and I'm not always perfect. So I don't always respond in this way. But this week I did because I'm on this whole new parenting kick where I'm like, I'm going to be the most amazing mom in the world for these four hours that I have (laughs) and one hour in the morning. So I said to her, um, what do you think the noise is? And she's like, I don't know. And I said, well, your brother has Lori light on Lori light. If you don't know who that is, does great guided imagery. And my seven-year-old, my son, he sleeps Lori light religiously every night because she's amazing. And she puts him to sleep. So he's got that noise going on. Well, she's not noise, but she's, she's kind of doing guided imagery and so I said, I think it's Lori Light. I think, cause they have like a Jack and Jill bedroom. So they're like connected. And I said, do you think it could be Lori Light? Go check. So she came back and she goes, yeah, it's, it's Lori Light. And I said, okay, now what do you need to do? Okay. I'm going to go back to bed. What do you need to tell yourself? I am safe in this house. I never tell her that I am right here or that I'm keeping her safe. I want it to be an independent thing. So for number three, the main thing, what I'm trying to teach you is To teach them to be a detective. So I'll give you another example. And I think I talked about this in a different podcast. But I was with my daughter and she saw a cricket. And that night she woke me up in the middle of the night and she always tells me what her dreams are, which is really helpful because I can pick up on her anxiety themes. And she said, Oh, I dreamt about crickets. And I was like, oh gosh. So that morning. I pulled up crickets. I pulled up YouTube videos of crickets. We read an article about crickets and I talked about how crickets are really ugly they their gross, but they're not dangerous and they don't hurt. And she never had a cricket problem again. In fact, I bought some plastic crickets and I incorporated them in her toys. And so she like, she plays them and we looked up Jiminy cricket. And even though he doesn't really look like a cricket too much, but so I kind of desensitized her right from the get-go so that it didn't, it didn't grow into something that was bigger and a bigger long-term problem. So teach your child how to be detective by figuring out what they're scared of and figuring out what that noise is, what that shadow is, or is that bug really scary? Sometimes you're not gonna be able to do that, but that is an approach for some fears. Okay. On to number four, and I'm sorry, I'm rushing through these, but I have 10 and I don't want you to be sitting here all day listening to this and and they're all really simple I just want to give them all to you. So, number 4 is more of a parenting issue. Don't develop accommodations early on. And it's so hard to parent an anxious child. So I understand it's hard to like not give in to their anxiety. But you really want to have at least the intention that you are trying to empower your child and you're trying to get them to independently fight their anxiety. And you don't want to accommodate the anxiety because if you do that, you're going to be teaming up with their worry cloud instead of with them. And their anxiety is not going to go away. They're going to build really bad habits because they're going to expect you to constantly rescue them. And so accommodating could look like anything. It can look like, you know, they are afraid of doing something. And instead of you even having a conversation about it, you just say, Oh, well, don't worry about it, sweetheart. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do anything that makes you feel uncomfortable. Or I would be scared of that too. It's okay. Let's cry together. You don't have to force your kids. I really feel like it's a balance. Um, We talk a lot about this in my private Facebook group, which by the way, if you're not in it, you should join it because it's growing by leaps and bounds. We are actually up to almost 700 members. And I'm sure it'll be 700 by the time you listen to this, because every day, more people are coming in, but it's called AT Parenting Kids with Anxiety and OCD. And I'll leave a link below, but if you're not in there, you should be because, um, it's actually getting so busy. It's hard for me to follow all the threads and respond to all of them because there's ongoing conversations in there like every hour. So if you want additional support, that is a really great place. Everybody is respectful Everybody is supportive. People can have different opinions and nobody gets attacked. And that is my number one goal for that group. And so that's why I have to read every thread because I'm making sure it's a safe place for everybody. So go there if you haven't, but I'm talking about this because it is a slippery slope with accommodating. And, and I, and I want you to know that I recognize that it is hard to not give in to your child. And we do talk a lot about that in the Facebook group about that balance, because I'm not die. I'm not a diehard therapist where I say, you know, you need to force your child or you're enabling them. I get it. Cause I have three anxious kids that it is a balance and you have to be able to read your child and know when they're being pushed too far. You also have to know when they're not being pushed at all. And so you should always have a dialogue, at least no matter how little they are about their anxiety or what's upsetting them. And how far can they go? But can they go to the class, but maybe they don't have to participate. Maybe they just have to go and sit there and just get them to the class. So it's always finding that balance. Okay. Number five, you want to let your child do things by themselves so that you start to empower them. And so even if, let me give you an example, cause I know that sounds really bizarre, but um, okay, well, let's take my five year old who had a toileting issue for a really long time. So she was afraid, there was a whole bunch of toileting issues. And if you want, you can go back and listen to episode 16, where I go all into fear of pooping and toilet phobias. That's a fun topic. But um, so let's use that as an example. So she was afraid of toileting, all stuff, toileting, but she was also afraid to go into the bathroom by herself. So you might have a child that's afraid to go into a room by themselves or go upstairs by themselves or do anything by themselves. And so it was incremental. I would say, you know, go into the bathroom and I'll stand in the hall. First, I was in the bathroom holding her hand. Then it was, I'll be in the bathroom, but I'm not going to hold your hand. And then I'll be outside of the bathroom and you can do it. Or then I'll like walk you to the bathroom and then I'm gonna move into the hall where you can't see me. So I'm constantly trying to get her to feel slightly empowered because there's always one little step that she's doing by herself. And so translate that to whatever anxiety or fear you are dealing with at home. Like even if you're having your child fall asleep in a perfect world, and you're gonna laugh at this because you're gonna be like, whatever, Natasha, that's never gonna happen. But in a perfect world, you want your child to actually fall asleep when you're not laying with them, you know, so you want, you can comfort them and tuck them in, but then you don't want them to be fully asleep when you leave because you want them to learn how to fall asleep on their own. Otherwise they're going to wake up in a panic in the middle of the night because the last memory they have is of you next to them. So it's all about empowering. I know that's really hard to do. And I will talk about that in my sleep video, but think about how you can Make them feel successful no matter what the small thing they do, because it's so much better to praise them and be like, Oh my gosh, you sat in the toilet by yourself and I was in the hall versus, you know, why can't you go to the bathroom by yourself? Like, why do I have to stand in the hall? No, celebrate every small little step and make them feel empowered and successful. Okay. Up next, I am going to talk to you hopefully quickly, but it may be a long podcast this week about the next five things that are great to do with little kids and can actually help older kids as well. Some of these are kind of creative and I'll tell you how to help your child. All right, stay tuned. That's what's up next. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. Okay. Welcome back. So for number six, um, this is kind of a unique approach, but I really like storytelling and that does help young kids put their fears in context. And so when you're trying, and I've talked about this before in other podcasts and all of these approaches can be used for any age. They just are particularly effective for really young kids because you can't do cognitive behavioral therapy as well with really young kids. You can definitely try, but some of these other things are great in conjunction with that. So with storytelling, let me try to think of an example for you. And I know I've talked a lot about swim class in the past. And so I don't know why, but that's like the only things that ever come into my head. And you'll be happy to know that swim class is actually over. Swim school was like imploding. I don't know why they were having some staff issues. So we're not even doing swim class starting today. So I'll probably not talk about that anymore. But um all three, well, two of my three kids had anxiety going to swim class. And I would use storytelling to help them. So I would just start with, you know, there once was a girl named blah blah blah. I try not to use my I Try not to tell you my kids' names for because people are crazy out there. But, and then I would say, you know, I'd make up a story and she was so scared about swim class because she thought she was going to sink to the bottom. And I would use all the things that she was anxious about. But then I make kind of a fantasy end to it. And I, you know, I build up an empowering story. But she took one jump and she was so brave and everybody was screaming and yelling and calling her name and they were so proud of her. And so you tell a story, about their anxiety, but you end it on a positive note. Or sometimes when my child would do something that was courageous, I would be so proud of them. And instead of saying, I'm so proud of you, I would say, I have a story to tell you. There once was a girl named blah, blah, blah. And then I would say, and she was so scared, but, and then I would tell the story of what they actually did, but in this fictional way. And my kids loved it and they would be like, tell me the story again. And there would be a lot of times where they would just want to hear the story over and over again. It was a really good, um, reinforcement for all of their wins. And it was a good reinforcement for their anxiety and labeling because sometimes my son, he wouldn't really want to connect the dots and and realize that it was anxiety, but he would tolerate me telling a story about a fictional character. And I didn't use his name who had a similar problem and how that person got out of that problem. And it was okay in a fictional way, as long as I didn't talk about him. With my daughter, I was able to kind of use her name and she wasn't as touchy about that. But storytelling is a phenomenal way to help kids, one, problem solve their anxiety, label their feelings, and empower them when they have their wins. I think a lot of times parents might do the first two, but they they don't do the empowerment. They forget to tell a story when there's a win and that's a really good one too. Okay. Number seven, this is a little bit similar, but kind of weird with my oldest daughter. I haven't really done this with my last two, but I did this with my older daughter. She had a really hard time problem solving social scenarios and, um, dealing with stuff. And you can do this with just pure anxiety as well. But I created this whole fictional, I guess it depends on how creative you are. I I created this whole fictional story. So I created this world that was like a parallel universe. <laughs> she probably doesn't, and she doesn't even remember all of these amazing stories I told her. It was like a waste, but I created this like, it was a, kind of like this, um, Candyland world. And she would like go through this. I won't go into it, I guess. Cause it gets a little weird, but she'd go through this rainbow tube and she would go there at night. And so there was this fictional girl who was her and she would land in this like parallel universe through this rainbow, tube that we like made was like, she had this little chair and I would say that she would like lift up the little chair and then she can go into the tube at night. We created this whole world. And then in that world, grown ups didn't exist. Kids ran the world and pets because she was really into animals and they also solved other people's problems. So this girl would look into like this crystal ball and she would see real life problems and she would hop into the crystal ball and she would go and fix the problems for these other little kids and so in the story, I would always defer to her and I would say, what do you think they should do? Or what should she say? Or sometimes I would take a situation that was actually happening with her and change just a few things around, change the names and change a little bit of the story so that she wasn't very clued in that I was talking about something that I was trying to teach her. And I would have her help me solve the problem for this fictional little character And she never knew that I was actually addressing her issues. And that's just kind of an interesting parenting approach in general, not just for anxiety, but that was a great way to problem solve without actually talking to her. So it's good for young kids, but it's actually really good for a little bit older as well, who don't want to talk about their issues, but aren't savvy enough to realize that you're actually talking about them. And it's also good for really young kids who really can't articulate what's going on with them. But in a story they could they could tell. And that really built up her problem solving. And so we would talk about there was a stealing issue and there was a lying issue. Not that she was having those issues, but she was dealing with stories around that or people gossiping. It's all social situations that she didn't know how to navigate as a five or six-year-old. So uh, crystal ball story time is kind of what I call that. And that's what we did. Okay, so number eight is just working on your child's anxiety through fantasy play, you can really, you know, you don't have to be a play therapist to understand how to jump into your child's play and help them work through things. I actually wrote a whole article about it. And instead of going into it in here, I will link the article so that if you're interested in learning how to use your child's play to help them with their anxiety or just their general problems, you can, you can read that there. Number nine, is very simple, which is read books that have anxiety themes. There are a zillion books out there. And actually I will leave a link because I think I did an article once where I just linked all these books on different anxiety themes, um, that you can read to your kids. Sometimes kids don't want to talk either. They don't want to talk or, or, and, or, They are too young to really articulate and have a conversation about it, but they do get stories. And that's kind of the overall theme for these last five points that I'm talking about is fantasy world and really using the child's fantasy to help them with their anxiety. So reading a book, you know, can help them more than you sitting down and talking to them. And so there's tons of books on, you know, fear of the dark and fear of bugs and fear of animals and blah, blah, blah. You know, find a book and read that. And this past Christmas, I bought 25 books that almost all are related to anxiety or perfectionism or something. And I think my seven year old was kind of on to me because he was like, This book is about me, isn't it? Or I don't want to read that one because I think that one's for me. But my five year old, she was completely clueless. I'll be like, How about we read this one today? you know, this one is all about how nighttime is scary. You know, how about we read this one? This one's about perfectionism and how we don't have to be perfect, but they tolerate it. And we actually have some really good discussions because of it. There's tons of books for preschoolers on anxiety themes, and I will link them in the show notes. The last one, cause this is getting a little long is don't forget to highlight the bravery of your child. So you don't wanna focus on their anxiety and their negativity. Anxious kids can be some of the bravest kids because physiologically they're dealing with things that a lot of us don't have to deal with and they still learn how to face their fears. So if your child is afraid to go to a class, but you convince them to actually get to the class, but they don't participate, then you praise them when you are in the car that they were brave, that their worry cloud was trying to tell them to not even go to the class, but that they told their worry cloud, you know, forget you, I'm gonna at least go to this class and see what it's about. And so you wanna highlight all the positive because when you praise people, even toddlers and preschoolers for something that they are somewhat doing, they're going to do that more often. And they're also going to create their own inner dialogue of who they are. So you are a key component to what their internal dialogue will be because what you say to them now is what they're going to be saying to themselves for years to come. So even if you feel like, ugh, they're so anxious, they're so timid, they're afraid of everything, be careful what you highlight because you can let them know that they're being brave even when they take very tiny, tiny steps in the right direction and they're going to start to emulate that. They're gonna start to feel that way and they're going to like that attention and they're going to um, have that more internal dialogue that anxiety is really hard to beat but that they're crushing it. So I like that positive approach. Well, that was a lot. And I'm sorry that I did that kind of fast, but I wanted to get all 10 of those things in. I'm sure there are other things that you can think of as well. If you want a really detailed analysis of how to help anxious toddlers, you can check out my book, uh, How to Parent Your Anxious Toddler. And I'll leave a link in the show notes on that. So I hope that you're enjoying these podcasts. If you are, Don't be shy. You can just go to iTunes and hit one of those stars. You don't even have to write a review. If you're feeling really giving, you can tell me um, that you're appreciating the podcast or you can just leave a review in general. And that would be great. I do want to thank anyone who has left a review. I really appreciate it. It's so funny because people leave like, you know, not their real names, but their, um, their handle names. And so I want to thank Curly Fry because that's her name or his name for leaving a review and um I appreciate all the really kind words and thank you for other people who have already left reviews. I think I've already thanked you guys, but I always appreciate that. I read all of them and it's really the only feedback I get and so it, it definitely motivates me because I've told you before I feel like I am just talking to my cat. I know I'm not because I see the numbers and this podcast is getting listened to and that's so awesome. But it's nice to hear people say, This is helping. So I hope you are having an amazing day and I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to AD Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.